We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Vince Maple, who is running for the Labour Party's National Executive Committee and is also a Labour Party uh, councillor uh, for Chatham Central and uh, leader of the Labour Party on uh, Medway Council. Welcome to the podcast, Vince. It's great to be here, Will. Thank you very much uh, for having me along. Looking forward to some um, difficult and challenging questions. I'm expecting nothing less. Thank you. Well, I, I hope they will, they will uh, live up to uh, what you imagine. Now, my first question is, what uh, first made you decide to run for the NEC? So, so I've never had a huge desire to stand for the National Executive Committee. I mean, I think <laughs> knowing some people that have been on there previously and are on there now, uh, you know, spending multiple hours of your time talking about the internal machinations of our political party is not something you want to put yourself forward for. But there's been a few things uh, over the last few years which have frustrated me. And I say that both as a, a member like 550,000 other people but also as a, as a, as a councillor, but also as a member of the regional board here in the southeast region where I'm based. And, and like so many things in life, it's easy just to sit there and moan about it. Uh, but I've decided to, to throw my hat into that ring and try and make a difference and, and, and put forward through my five pledges, and there's, there's loads of other stuff as well, um, some practical things that I think can make the Labour Party better. One of the things that's been really interesting as a candidate has been lots of people asking me about um, different policy positions and that's great and I'm always happy to answer those questions not always the answers that people want to hear on one or two of those issues and we might cover some of that today um, but certainly from from my perspective I see the NEC very much as making sure that the Labour Party functions uh, as an organisation and, and from my perspective my pledges are really about how can we how can we make the Labour Party function better? And if I'm not one of the nine people who are lucky enough to be elected to the NEC, I hope that those successful candidates will look at my pledges and say, actually, uh, we need to take some of these things forward. And I know other candidates have got some similar pledges in some of those areas. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful whether I'm successful or not come uh, the week after the US elections. Yes, it is that long. People will still be getting emails and social media messages on this, I'm afraid, uh, for all of that time. Um, you know, I, I'm hopeful that at the end of this process, we'll have an NEC, whoever is successful, that will make our party function in a way which um, is good for uh, those who are very active, good for the 550 odd thousand members, but also good for society because the Labour Party functioning as effectively as possible, ultimately means a Labour Party which is more likely to win elections. And ultimately, that means uh, a better and fairer society. Um, now, you mentioned your five uh, pledges there. For people who don't know uh, what your pledges are, what are they? Well, happy to share those. The, 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 the first one for me, and this, this is something, and again, uh, all of these are, are kind of come from a personal perspective of, of the last few years. But the first one absolutely is around... Um, CLPs selecting their parliamentary candidates. Now, here in the southeast region, uh, certainly for the 2019 
uh, general election, more than 60 of our candidates were imposed through a process that ultimately was uh, decided by the NEC. Uh, I think if there's one thing that a CLP has as a collective job to do, more than anything, anything else, it's that selection of their voice for wanting to stand for Parliament. So, And we saw similar in 2017 as well. And what frustrates me about this is this is not kind of some um, issue that I've just gone, this is bad now. Previously, kind of middle of the summer last year, uh, in my role as um, chair of the South East Regional Board, along with my, my friend and colleague, Vice Chair Elaine Bolton, we wrote to the NEC and basically said, look, we've got to get on with it. We've got you know more than 60 CLPs that haven't got a parliamentary candidate. Let us get on with it. We didn't really get a response to that. And obviously, we know subsequently uh, those candidates were imposed. So that, for me, is absolutely essential that we never have that situation again where uh, CLPs are left to have their parliamentary candidates foisted upon them. Not to say that loads of those people didn't do a really brilliant job and there was great team ethics and, and all the rest of it, but that's just that shouldn't happen. The second one for me is about complaints processes. And again, there'll, there'll be lots of people talking about this. And I know there are some specific pledges from organisations like the Labour Women's Network and Labour 2, and I've been happy to sign those pledges. For, for me, having a complaints uh, process where some complaints have been hanging around for nearly two years or longer, that's not acceptable. And that's not acceptable to uh, the person who puts in the complaint, the person that the complaint has been made about, the branch, the CLP, uh, you know, all of those bits of the Labour Party are impacted when a complaint takes that long. Uh, and for me, it's about saying we need to have a, a timely, uh, well-resourced complaints process. Now, I support the Labour to call for sexual harassment cases having an, an independent process. Mm. Uh, I support that. Uh, and what I've said to people in the recent campaign is that I would be minded to look at the, the physical practicalities as to whether moving all complaints to an independent process is just practicable or not. So it's around, again, making the party function properly. So I don't want to say I would definitely do that. When it comes to sexual harassment cases, I think there is a separate need for that to happen quickly. So I would support that uh, wholeheartedly. So, yeah, complaints processes and, and people listening to this who are members of the Labour Party, most CLPs or neighbouring CLPs, will know of a circumstance where that member's been suspended for so long. And it's just, it distracts again from what we should be doing, uh, which is, frankly, winning elections. Mm. Uh, third point for me, third pledge is around where the, where's the money? Where is, show me the money, to quote Jerry Maguire. Um, you know, at the moment, and again, other candidates have said this in some of their pledges, you know, we, we pay on average, as an, as an average member, you will pay around 50 quid a year to, to be a Labour Party member. Uh, and actually, just a tiny proportion of that ends up with CLPs. Similarly, not enough resources, in my views, go to the regions and nations. So it's just about saying, actually, the, the newly elected NEC just needs to take a pretty quick view on where those resources are getting to. We shouldn't be in a place where branches or CLPs are panicking about literally being able to stay afloat financially mm. when they should be able to focus on that. And I have to say, I don't think that's about a one-size-fits-all approach necessarily, uh, because it shouldn't necessarily fit on perhaps the number of members you have, um, because that could lead us to different problems with distribution of the finances. We've got a finite amount of money, 
Um, so we can't create new uh, income for the Labour Party in that sense. More members we have, of course, more money we have coming in. So I just think at the moment the system uh, isn't working properly. Uh, fourthly, I- I'm, I'm a recovering ex-CLP secretary. So I know the pressures and struggles that actually not just CLP secretaries, although they are at the brunt of a lot of it, uh, all CLP officers, you know, CLP officers are volunteers. People do this because they want their party to succeed. They want to stand up for their community. They want to make the world a better place. Uh, The least we can do is make sure that the Labour Party infrastructure um, not only doesn't prohibit them from doing that, but supports them doing that. So that's about training. That's about making sure that they can share best practice in a much better way uh, and making sure that they've got access to the tools and facilities uh, that they need to make their CLPs run effectively and make sure that they're not being given excessively more work to do. Now, one of the things which has kind of become a topical issue alongside this is, of course, how CLPs function in the world. You know, we're having this great conversation over uh, Zoom at the moment. Uh, there's a real debate going on around, do we have hybrid meetings? Do we stick with Zoom meetings? Do we want to get back into a room? And we've got to support CLPs and CLP officers in that. Mm. But my final pledge is around the fact that I'm a councillor. And I think for some time, councillors have been undervalued by our party. Uh, And that's around making sure that... um, you know, local government officers are given the support that they need. Councillors are given the support that they need. Uh, they, they pay in a similar way where I talked about making sure finances go to the right areas. You know, councillors pay quite a substantial levy to the party collectively in the region of about one and a half to two million pounds, depending on um, how many exact councillors we have. So from that perspective, I think it's about making sure uh, that the resources are there for local government elections and to make sure councillors are supported. And that does include ultimately more, in my view, more local government representation directly uh, on the NEC as well. The final point, which is not a pledge, but is a, is a desire, is this, which is, uh, in a previous life, I was the GMB officer who represented uh, Labour Party staff. So I want the Labour Party not just to be a brilliant election-winning machine, that's really important. I also want it to be a good employer. Uh, and I think that's about just, you know, stating that as a position to begin with and then working through. We're going to be seeing a couple of reports coming, as we all know. I, I want to see those reports and recommendations from those. And I think as an employer, you know, I want the Labour Party to be an employer of choice. Mm. Uh, and that's got to be, you know, in some ways led by its national executive as well. So that's what I'll do on the first day if I'm elected. I don't know about the other rest of the two years. <laughs> Um, now, one of the things you mentioned uh, there is um, Zoom. And of course, as you said, a lot of uh, CLP meetings have had been uh, conducted over there. But of course, the campaign itself, the NEC campaign, has been far more uh, online than it has been in previous years. Do you think that's been a positive thing or do you think that it's been more negative in terms of being able to get out and interact with people? So I think it's some and some. So there's a, there was a really good example. So one of the branch, it was a branch rather than a CLP, organised the hustings, which involved 30 candidates. I mean, that's phenomenal just to be able to get 30 of us to have that uh, time together. And um, it was, I think in the end, I think there was probably only about 
half a dozen branch members there, but actually they were going to share obviously all the all the answers that were given by all the candidates, and that's a great thing. Now, realistically, being able to get bearing in mind this is a national election, mm. uh, probably you wouldn't even have got tech, so probably three or four candidates depending on where it was in the country. Uh, and yeah, I, I think the ability of for an election of this nature. Where the you know the clues in the name the National Executive Committee I guess really <laughs> you know every CLP including things like Labour International Labour Northern Ireland the ability for people to uh, engage with them both on social media but also through uh, video technology like Zoom I think is a positive thing um, I'm sure there's been problems and of course one of the issues there is around you know good quality Wi-Fi that can always be. <laughs> Uh, a challenge hopefully so far so good 14 minutes in my wi-fi hasn't cut out yet that's good <laughs> but still time to go don't worry um so yeah i mean genuinely i think it's been helpful um and it's probably made more engagement um than we would have normally again other people who have stood for the nec before would be able to give you a view on that but certainly from my perspective it's meant you know the ability to say can you come and talk for 10 minutes uh, 150 miles away I definitely can do that from my from a back bedroom. I probably wouldn't have paid three hundred pounds to get a train there and back. So mm. I think it's a good thing, and it is part of that wider conversation around. At some point, we will return to having meetings. How, how do we ensure people who perhaps haven't ever attended a branch or CLP meeting before, but perhaps over, over the last six months, um, how do we make sure that we don't lose them in the future when we go back to uh, seeing in the rooms? I am desperately missing though CLP raffles. Uh, and I've been saying, I think as an alternative fundraiser, we should have uh, 50p in the pot everyone, every time someone goes, you're on mute. So that's my, that's my fundraising bid for the Labour Party. <laughs> um, now, one of the uh, other things that you mentioned um, in your pledges uh, was wanting greater representation for um, Labour councils uh, and Labour councillors. And of course, next year, we're going to be having local elections uh, across England, what do you think is going to be the main uh, issue in next year's local election campaigns? So I think that's a, that's a really interesting one. And I'm not a historian compared to many others in the Labour Party, but I suspect, I think it's the 6th of May, is likely to be the biggest democratic day we have as a country where it's not a general election or a national referendum. Because I think with, with uh, regional government as well, uh, with national governments in Wales and Scotland and NI, uh, and all the PCC elections, I think everybody across the United Kingdom, I think, will be able to vote on that day. So that will lead to um, a huge kind of test you know, the media, I'm sure, will point it out as a test between <laughs> Keir, uh, Starmer and Boris Johnson. Uh, that frustrates me a bit because actually we don't have a presidential system. And actually, when I'm knocking on doors here in Medway and talking about the quality of the roads or the education or whatever else it might be, still lots of people will go, yeah, but I feel this about Jeremy Corbyn or I think that about Theresa May. I go, well, that's interesting, but actually it's about who's, who's going to make sure your bins are collected best. Mm. Um, for the next four years. So I, I guess that's a little personal frustration as a locally elected <laughs> representative. I mean, undoubtedly, when we get to May, unless there is something else that none of us is aware of as yet, people will be taking a judgment on two things, I think. The handling of Brexit, 
And that's certainly post the 31st of December, but also the handling of the, the COVID-19 crisis. And I think with the local government elections, you'll have, you'll have a real, less so with PCC and others, but for local governments and for mayorality elections, you will definitely be getting a kind of twin track of how did the government handle it? How did the Labour Party handle it in opposition nationally? And how did your local council or your local mayor um, handle it? And that will, I think that kind of mix of stuff will be a, a big impact on that, along with all the things that we would always talk about um, when it comes to local government elections, whether, again, education, highways, and, and all the other stuff, which, you know, is critically important to people's day-to-day lives. Mm. Um, what do you think from your perspective as a, a councillor, what do you think of the way the government have dealt with the coronavirus crisis? Do you think that they've worked well with local councils or do you think that they've not provided enough support? Look, I, I, I think in, if, if we'd lived up to the rhetoric of the first two weeks, you know, I'm, I'm not a walking dictionary, but whatever it takes and whatever we've seen are two quite different things. Mm. And I think from, from my perspective, and look, I, I'm leader of the opposition, so I don't run the council. Actually, we've had reasonable dialogue. We've had, and, and that's been, I think, a similar approach um, across many authorities, actually. People have almost put the party politics aside, certainly at the start of lockdown, uh, because we were dealing with what is effectively a civil contingencies crisis. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think there's been too many examples now uh, where y- your man or woman in the high street will go, that could have been done better. I think there's a there's a there's a a, a chunk of look, we're in unprecedented times. Nobody quite knows what's happening. I, I think the government have gone far beyond that kind of limit of what people would expect in those circumstances. And and it's and it's things like the the constantly changing advice but for no apparent reason. Mm. And also when it comes to local government, I mean, we saw with the COVID marshals last week, as we're talking now, uh, effectively, not a U-turn, but an O-turn. So they said, we're not going to fund it. Oh, we are going to fund it. Oh, we're not going to fund it. Uh, Within the space of 24 hours. And you kind of go, whether you're in opposition or control of a council, what sort of messaging is that? If we were to run that sort of message locally to say, oh, we're going to start a new service, oh, we're not going to, oh, we are, oh, we're not. You know, residents would rightly go, well, that's nonsense. You haven't got a clue what you're doing. So I accept entirely it's a challenging set of circumstances that the government finds itself in. Um, And I'm sure if we had a Labour administration, whether that was uh, Jeremy winning in December or Keir being in control now there would have been things that could have been done better because in a crisis, you'll take your best judgment, you use your best endeavours, but there's just, in the last, it seems to have been the further we've gone along, uh, the more weaknesses. And I have to say, um, the whole debacle around Dominic Cummings, there was a real, for, for me, that was a turning point. And I got um, probably more emails than anything else on the whole COVID issue about that. Hmm. Uh, including people who voted, you know, didn't vote for me. I stood for hmm. Parliament last December. Spoiler alert, I didn't win. Um, but people who said to me, look, I didn't vote for you, Vince, last time. But actually, the government have let us down because this person who's not elected is just breaking the rules that they're making. So, so I do think, and I, I suspect as history goes down the line, the, the Cummings situation will be seen as a kind of a, a point where some people felt, well, 
it really is one rule for them and one rule for us. And of course, this week we've seen a um, similar situation with the kind of um, uh, bit of lax given to grouse shooting because that's the way to make sure uh, you stay safe and secure. Hanging out with 29 other people with big guns. <laughs> Do you think that this is going to be one of the big issues um, come the next general election, this issue of competency comparing the current Conservative government and and Boris Johnson in particular with Keir Starmer? Do you think that that's something that is going to be really in focus, this issue of, well, you know, you've got a very uh, incompetent prime minister and an incompetent government versus uh, competent and um, uh, much more analytic opposition? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case. We're all already seeing that narrative. And again, I think what's been interesting this week, of course, is that, um, you know, while Keir's obviously had that situation waiting for the, the COVID test results for his family members, um, you know, other people, so Ed Miliband's come mm-hmm. back, Angela Rayner took PMQs. And with both of those, again, Boris Johnson clearly was not up to the job. Um so from that perspective, I think that's almost likely to be, you know, it, it almost can't not be part of the the conversation. Um, and, and I do think there is something around, um, and Cameron did this in 2009, actually in 2010, showing, showing not only here's our national leader being competent, you know, being forensic, which of course is a phrase that people use a lot, I guess, because of his... Again, particularly his approach to PMQs, but also actually Labour in power being competent. So whether that is uh, the Welsh government, whether that is some of our brilliant mayors, and hopefully we'll have more mayors uh, by the time we get to the next general election, or Labour in local government more generally. Uh, I think that's where, again, Cameron had his Cameron's councils, mm. and we almost need Keir's councils to say, actually, this is what happens when you have Labour in local government compared to actually not only national government, but again, where Conservative uh, councils have failed. You know, the first council to go bankrupt effectively was Northamptonshire mm. County Council, a Conservative run council. So, from that perspective, it is about competence. Uh, and I think that will, that message will escalate. And I suspect we will see some of that actually in next May's um, election campaigns as well. Hmm. Do you think that this is going to be uh, something that will uh, be relevant in particularly in areas in the north and in, in, in Scotland, showing that the Labour Party uh, perhaps has, has, has changed from how um, people uh, thought of it in December? Or do you think that, it's going to take longer than just next May for people in uh, the north of England and in Scotland to vote more along the, the, the lines of supporting the, the Labour Party again. I mean, I, I think that's, that's you know, ultimately, that the answer to that question is whether we get a Labour government or mm. not, ultimately. Uh, and I do think there's a, there's a kind of combination there with uh, some of those who were... Uh, elected last December in seats where, again, the Conservatives have never held mm. or haven't held for decades uh, parliamentary representation. Uh, I think there's there's a, a quite clear lack of progress being made for those communities. So I think people have gone, right, we'll try the other lot, uh, in part because of Brexit. There's mm. no doubt of that in my mind. And again, I think we will see uh, in some areas... 
you know, with the government just saying, right, we're going to put a lorry park wherever we like. Sorry, we didn't tell you that last December. Um, I think we'll start to see a bit of pushback from some people, including probably in the same way that we've had in the run-up, certainly to 2019, people who voted to remain but have actually now said, I just want to get on with it. I'm done with it, really. I think we might see a bit of a reverse going, actually, I didn't vote for this. Mm. You know, so I didn't vote for 28, 29 council areas uh, to just, again, have a lorry park put here whenever they want. You know, nobody voted for that in 2016 at the referendum or in 2019 at the general election. So I, I think we'll see a bit of that. Uh, and I have to say as well, I, again, am I biased? I almost <laughs> certainly am. But um, I, I've been dreadfully unimpressed by a number of their new intake, where, again, if you look back to our some of our new intake in 2015 and 2017, some incredibly talented MPs. So, so I think that's that's probably part of Johnson's problem is that he hasn't got a, he's got more people, but he probably hasn't got more talent, uh, and that's 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 important when it comes to running things effectively. Mm. Uh, one of the things that we have uh, mentioned uh, quite a bit, and he's coming very much to uh, the forefront again, is Brexit. Of course, with the internal market bill going through the House of Commons at the moment. If we end up in a situation where we have an, a, a no deal, how concerned are you about the impact that could have on the area that you represent? Uh, massively so. So um, for those uh, podcast listeners who aren't sure where Medway is, I always refer to Medway as the 18% of Kent that's not in Kent because we're a unitary authority. So we're not technically in Kent County Council, but we're slap bang in the middle of Kent, basically North Kent. So we're, we're halfway basically between London and the English Channel. So if there is a problem at Dover, which of course we know Dominic Raab didn't even know was a bit of an issue when it comes to Brexit, um, that's going to massively impact on our community. Uh, and we're seeing talk today that Ebbsfleet International, which was one of the HS1 uh, train stations, uh, you know, they had a COVID site there for testing. That's now been shut down to be prepared for a potential lorry park. So uh, Kent, the wider Kent and Medway, the, the risks here are huge. And uh, I'm, I'm fearful that we may end up with some, uh, that kind of double whammy of, COVID will still be impacting come the 1st of January. It doesn't just go away because we've left the European <laughs> Union. Um, but actually, trying to deal with both of those at the same time is going to be difficult enough at the best of times. When you've had 10 years of cuts to Kent Police, mm. uh, local government, upper tier services, both here and in the rest of Kent, um, that, that's a huge impact. And I'm fearful that for all of the best planning in the world the combination of those two still rattling on together could make it, you know, to the point of breaking point, really. Mm. Um, and you uh, mentioned there, of course, that you're in Medway, you're in uh, Kent, and I know that you're um, uh, the regional board chair for South East Labour. Do you think that come the next general election, that in terms of winning back um, support, Labour may have to take a bit of a, a different approach to uh, winning the North back uh, as opposed to winning in the, the South East? Or do you think that it will 
need just a, a general overarching message and a theme to, to, to win in both the South East and, and the North? I, I think that's a huge... Will, you've summed up the challenge we've had, frankly, <laughs> uh, since the polls closed at the end of the referendum, because however much historically um, the issue of Europe and the European Union has been for the Conservatives, uh, politically for us as a party since... Uh, the referendum it's probably been as much if not more so so we've got the fantastic rosie duffield uh who's a brilliant mp but but i've got no doubt that part of the reason she was um re certainly re-elected this time is because um remainers uh, lent her votes now that probably won't be an issue come 2023 2024 uh, so so the challenge there will be to it's almost the reverse of that. Not only have we got to try and win back those seats, we've got to defend the seats. Now, Rosie will stand on her record, as will people like uh, Stephen Morgan and others here in the southeast region. Um, but those, you know, so Portsmouth and, and, and Canterbury are seats that we hadn't really ever held. You know, mm. Canterbury's um, not had a Labour MP ever until Rosie. So from that perspective, that, that's the additional factor, which I think if we're looking at this in the kind of, aspect of where are we in four years time uh, that that for me is the additional challenge so yeah and it is that you know there is no doubt that we can't form a Labour government unless we're doing better in Scotland we can't form a Labour government unless we're winning back those seats uh, in the Red Wall area across the North and the Midlands but we also can't form a Labour government unless we're winning more in the South East in, in 1997 we had over half of the um, constituencies here in Kent, mm. uh, we're now down to uh, one. So, um, yeah, that's that's a challenge. And to have one message or one set of messages that appeals to all of those areas in one sense is a challenge, but actually in another sense, um, you know, in, you know, dealing with competence, dealing with fairness. You know, that, that isn't a regional thing. That is a thing which actually is down to a phrase people would probably use, British values. British yeah. values is about fairness and decency and, and making sure everyone gets a, a fair shout. Uh, and that's what, ultimately, that's what the Labour Party stands for. And we've got yeah. to articulate that in a way which uh, appeals to everybody from Aberdeen to Chatham and everybody else in between. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great to have you on, uh, Vince. And I've got one final question. Um, obviously, we're still in the middle of the pandemic and there are uh, regions across the UK where there are still uh, restrictions, but we're not currently in a, in a national lockdown. Uh, during the lockdown, was there anything that you um, learnt or any positives that you gained from it uh, that you're, you're grateful for? So, so one of the things undoubtedly is that the uh, ability for the community to come together mm. and get on with it. So we had some brilliant um, mutual aid road rep type groups set up here across Medway. 
Um, you know, people, you know, some people from lots of different political parties and no political parties go, actually, that doesn't matter. What matters is getting uh, Mrs. Smith at number three, her prescription. That's what we've got to do now. So actually, that 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 spirit, which perhaps in, in other times has been called kind of like the blitz spirit, mm. um, you know, that, that to me, you know, seeing that firsthand was impressive. Uh, seeing, seeing the ability of people... Um, to care for each other and to recognize um, the value of people. Mm. So like most people listening to the podcast, I was out there most Thursdays, you know, cheering on mm. key workers, cheering on the NHS. I'm now standing at rallies and marches saying they deserve a 15% mm. pay rise as well. That's the bit that Boris Johnson forgot. <laughs> he was out applauding outside number 11. Uh, so actually it's about, and you don't want a global pandemic to have to do this. But I think it was a snapshot in, in society realising that perhaps someone's salary and someone's value to society quite often can be very different. And I think that was shown with particularly people working in care homes, those delivering care at people's individual homes where they've got a very raw deal from uh, the fact that in some cases not even paid their travel time. Mm. So look, I, th I think, and, and if society resets itself a bit, recognising that from my perspective, that's got to be a good thing. And, and I and I hope that you know I want COVID gone as soon mm. as practically possible, like all of us. But I don't want us to lose the good stuff that we've got, including using technology mm. like the Zoom we're on today, including the ability for people to put sometimes quite inbuilt in differences aside for the greater good mm. and, and to recognise the value of those people within our community that truly make sure that from one day to the next our society keeps running ultimately. Yeah, those are sentiments that I completely uh, agree with and I think most of our listeners will do as well. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Vince. If people want to find out more about your campaign, where should they go to, to find out? So they can come and follow me on Twitter if they want a good combination of what's going on in Chatham uh, and bad Arsenal football results and occasional references to Parks and Recs uh, at Vince Maple. Or they can email me, vote Vince for the number four NEC at gmail.com. Thanks once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, I hope you listen to the next one.